Hello, friends. Welcome to the Climbing Fierce podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping devoted Christ followers on the higher journey as they climb towards the plans, purposes, and presence of God. This podcast is built around the idea that life's not just a journey, but rather a purposeful climb to sovereign heights. I'm Hannah Schaefer, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Dr. Claudia Dempsey. We welcome you to journey alongside us as we explore common hangups, setbacks, and growth points on the journey of life, as well as some key strategies and resources so we can collaboratively climb together to reach new heights. This is Climbing Fierce. Welcome everyone to the second episode of the Climbing Fierce podcast. Claudia, I have a question for you. When you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? Hannah, I don't know that I ever actually thought through that as a kid. Okay, am I going to be the one anomaly in this world? Um, yeah, I can't think of an instance where I was like, oh, I want to be the teacher or the astronaut. You never went to like SeaWorld and thought, I want to be a whale trainer or (laughs) (laughs) Or just, there was no aspirational thing like that? No, no, it wasn't, wasn't until I got to college that that sort of began to take shape. In fact, I went to college, I'm like, I, this is going to be fun. I'm, I always loved school, so I wasn't afraid of school, but literally had no idea where I was going to end up. Okay. Yeah. Well, this intro was going to be much better because you were going to get to hear what Claudia wanted to be when she grew up, but apparently she didn't want to be anything. Um, Well, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a lot of different things, but the main one was I was around a lot of hockey rinks because my dad refed hockey, um, my older brother played, I played for a little bit, so I was just around a lot of hockey rinks. And I really wanted to be a Zamboni driver. (laughs) I don't know if everybody knows what that is, but basically the big machine that comes out and redoes all the ice and makes it nice and smooth. That's hilarious. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Oh my gosh. A Zamboni driver. Who doesn't want to do that? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Would have never been on my radar. Well, uh, I heard a little girl the other day. I say little girl. She was probably like 10 to 13. uh, And she said she wanted to be an influencer when she grew up. And it just made me pause because, one, that was not an option when we were kids. And two, it made me think about the word influencer. And when I've heard it in other contexts, I've never really sat with the actual word. Mm. That their jobs are literally to get as many people in your corner so that you can influence people. Influence them what to wear, where to travel, what to eat. I've just never sat with the fact that that is exactly what their job is. It's to influence people through social media. If you don't know what that is, an influencer basically does all those things via different social media platforms. And so today we're going to be unpacking the question, what influences us? And it just made me think how many influences are flying in. I don't want to give away too much. We're just in the intro. Um, But today we're really going to be unpacking that. What as believers is influencing us? And this topic really stemmed from a previous conversation that Claudia and I had about purposefully, excuse me, living out our influence. Because as Christians, we're called to be men and women of influence. That's really what leading is. It's just to influence. And so the fact is that we first have to understand who we are and what is influencing us. 
And as we talked a bit in our last episode, we're living in a time when the volume and the impact of forces of influences around us are just incredibly penetrating and oftentimes overwhelming. And so while we're here immersed in a really unique and honestly rather turbulent time in history, we as believers have to be keenly aware of what things are influencing us. Because if they're ignored or minimized, slowly and sneakily, they're going to define who we are, how we do life, how we think about ourselves and the world, and ultimately how we climb. And so at this point, I've been talking a lot. So Claudia, I would love to know, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, well, this is absolutely just such a critical topic because as we talk about influence, it really brings to mind all those factors that come in. And I think if we stopped, and we're going to unpack some of that, But if you stop to think of all the messaging, all the stimuli, all the events and circumstances coming, there is a lot inundating all of us. And it it brings to mind what I call a cumulative life narrative. And that's that idea that there's this layered and collective impact of all these formative factors that are coming at us and are shaping who we are. And this includes the people, the environments, the messages, the experiences. And this is true for all of us that we've got this narrative that is defining who we are in the world, how we see life, how we interpret ourselves. But what happens is this, for those of us who are unaware of this dynamic script that was written, that's really written our story, we become subjects to that message and to that narrative. Rather than really taking the reins and driving our lives, those things begin to drive us. Uh, For example, I'm gonna use this example of a family member who grew up at the tail end of the Great Depression They experienced lots of notable challenges in life. They struggled financially. And they were taught that humble Christians, you're almost supposed to live in this state of poverty. You're not supposed to have abundance or talk Hmm. about abundance. And so this individual who's looking at life today is terrified by the instability of the markets, the state of global relations, the fierce Democrat-Republican divide because that's going to derail our viability and our national economy, et cetera, et cetera. They're a wreck. And now, if I think of that person in contrast as somebody who was always taught, God will provide. Uh, they've seen him to be faithful. His provisions are there. And they've always been fortunate enough, to, fortunate enough to have a stable income or provisions. That person can look at that same exact scenario as my family member and feel a sense of peace. Whereas my family member's in tor- turmoil. And so what's the difference? The same exact scenarios, But the difference is how these people are interpreting and responding to these forces in their lives. And that's what we want to talk about because it's hugely important that we consider our perspectives and those things that are shaping us. Absolutely. I mean, I even think in that specific scenario, what family you grew up in could even shape and some of the family experiences that you go through. um, That I know even my husband and I feel like we talked a lot about in our premarital counseling because we just came from totally different backgrounds. But, you know, we have to be super mindful about the people and the environments that we're allowing to shape us. Um, but I think we've got to be on guard because a lot of life's influences are going to kind of be like a little siren song. They're going to do a couple of things. They're going to lull our spiritual senses to sleep. They're going to fill our minds with corrosive content or and maybe and they're going to encourage us a lot like Eve to choose fulfillment rather than faithfulness. Uh, I can think of so many instances in my own life where especially that last one is um, just the most, uh, I think, penetrating and um, sneaky to just to creep in there. Um, and I don't know about you, but I really do feel like the siren song is constantly calling to us. Mm. It is 
nonstop. It doesn't sleep. And you have to be intentional to shut things down and to just go get quiet. Uh, and I think there's a really dangerous and a daily temptation for self-obsession. You have a lot of things that are my preferences, my interpretations, my needs. Uh, I think every streaming service that I'm on has a suggested for you, uh, which is really helpful, but it just encourages and reiterates that it's all about us. The algorithm is always centering everything towards us. And I've even heard a lot of self-care talk turn this way where um, it's go take a bubble bath or go for a walk, put on a face mask. And those things are not bad, but they're not fulfilling. They're not actually life-giving. I think a really blaring example from my own life is I'm doing this workout program that is for pregnancy. And the instructor literally said this quote. I want to read it to you. I want you to be the star of your own life. Often the baby becomes the star of the world, and it's so important that that happens. But what's even more important is that you remember that you are the star of your life. You are the main character, the protagonist, and when you take care of you, then you can really do and be your best for your little miracle. And that message sounds really good. Even as I was working out, I was like, there is truth in there. There is nuggets of, I do have to take care of myself. There is sleep that needs to happen. I need to eat meals when this second baby comes. I need to go spend some time outside and all that's true. But I think in a season like that or similar seasons, uh, we need more than just those things. We need God. We need his people um, to help us in in that big life transition. Um, but it's, it's easy for that to sound so good, but really when you unmask it, it is self-obsession. It is, um, you know, putting yourself first to say that, you know, that, uh, on the airplane, when you put the mask on yourself and then you put it on somebody else, there are situations that's true, but in general, I think we can actually put God first and then put others and then we can come after that. Yeah, and that's so true. And that's why we really have to stop and and pay attention and look at these deeply penetrating influences. I mean, just think about the pure volume of information we're being hit with daily. It's it's unparalleled. And I'm using the word volume here to talk both about the extraordinary quantity of the, the noise that's coming, but also the significant level at which we're hearing it. So it's a lot and it's really loud. Mm. Um, did you know, Hannah, that approximately half of Americans spend four to five hours a day on their phone? It's unbelievable the time we spend. Mm-hmm. Most of them, okay, I read this stat, I was, I was blown away. Most checking their phones at least 58 times a day. <gasps> 58 times a day, I mean, this is, we really, this is another appendage on our bodies and we're wow. being saturated with an influx of content. I mean, I think I saw a stat here lately that said there's more data being generated or has been in the last two months than in the entire course of human history. I don't even know how this is possible. <laughs> two months versus 6,000 years, oh or if you have an evolutionary perspective, millions of years. We're, I mean, it's unbelievable what's, what's coming in, really mind-blowing. And I don't want to get too far off track, but I also I did some additional stat checking. So here's a few more stats, just in case you'd like to know that every 60 seconds, every 60 seconds here in the U.S., there are almost 6 million Google searches. Instagram users will share 66,000 photos. Facebook posts, you'll see 1.7 million pieces of content come up every 60 seconds. And there will be... Oh, just a little over 230 million emails sent. In 60 every, seconds. Every 60 seconds. Wow. 
So we're, we're talking about mass quantities coming. Um, my brain, I don't even know how to process this. Um, so, oh, there was one more thing. This one, again, all of this is beyond comprehension. There was an article that said it would take one person 118 million years to download all the information currently on the web. I mean, so what are we supposed to do day by day with the influx? Because we're being inundated and like it or not, we can't escape the deluge. And so the fact that we're, we're talking about this, we, we want to be aware because we, we, want to be influencers. We want to be lights, but we've got to recognize what's shaping and influencing us first. I mean, even what COVID did alone to our society uh, impacted us beyond measure. It's incredible. Wow. You know, I saw the other day that there are more than 2 million monthly active advertisers on Instagram alone. Wow. That is so many. Right. And that makes me feel really targeted. Like Mm. they know where we are. They know how to capture our attention and they're coming for us. (laughs) And there's 2 million of them. And, uh, you know, I've heard it said that social media was the market's response to pride and ego of humanity. Mm. And, you know, it's like that need for affirmation, that need to show people the highlights of our lives uh, the need to post our opinions to an audience that we think is listening right. <laughs> no one maybe actually listening. Um, but they saw the opportunity to fill some of those quote unquote needs and they went for mm. it. So on that really positive note, yeah. <laughs> what are we to do about yeah, it? What do we do? Okay. So there's a couple options before us. Obviously there's always this option of withdrawing from the world, living a detached and isolated existence. In fact, there's a, a text out if that resonates with anybody by Rod Schreier called the Benedict option really looks at the, the viability of that. Is that something that we need to consider at certain intervals? Or we could take a different proactive stance in monitoring and filtering what's coming at us. Uh, And if we go that route, a really good place to start is determining whether the source of influences that we're allowing in, in a regular basis, just looking at the core, are they they secular in nature? Meaning, and by secular, is there anything that, any affiliation with Christianity? That's what, you know, as we look at, um, I'm sorry, secular is anything without that affiliation with Christianity. And so we just start by, by giving some actual quantifying the percentages, how much of what I'm exposed to daily is secular, does not have any affiliation to God, his truth, um, and start to take, you know, look at the percentages of that. But we can also then examine whether the influences in our life promote darkness, despair, self-fulfillment, a disregard for others, or even this elevation of ourselves. And we can start asking this question, of whether the content coming in feeds our flesh or feeds our spirit. So if you wanna be here in the world, be in the world but not of it, stay in this, we've gotta be intentional. We've gotta know what filtering, and I heard this example one time a pastor used of two dogs in the yard. All of us, we've got two dogs in the yard. Um, We can only feed one. We can feed our flesh and we can feed our spirit. What are we feeding? And that dog that's fed the most will be the far more dominant dog. And so as we take that in for ourselves, what are we feeding? Is it our flesh or our spirit? Because we're going to be shaped and we've got to now determine what we're, what we're shaped by. In fact, I remember my daughter one time, she this, did this little experiment at home. She took a little daisy and she put it in a little cup of water and then she dropped in some red food coloring and it literally transformed the whole color of the flower. That flower, the whole look changed within just a couple of hours of sitting in that water that had some dye that was inserted. So we've really got to be mindful 
Um, and then another interesting point to consider is that most of us, um, understanding this culture and understanding where we are, um, we've, we've, we do have this tendency to elevate ourselves. It becomes all about me, really preoccupied with ourselves. In fact, I heard someone use this expression that we're living lives trapped in the mirror. And so all we see, all the facets, all the angles, all the layers, well, it's about me, it's for me, it's centered around me. And so for those trapped in this perspective, life becomes this big vending machine that's kind of all about me, getting me what I want, getting me what I need. In fact, Hannah, I heard this story the other day. This cracked me up. So there's a guy, he's, he wants breakfast. He's like, well, I don't have time. I'm just going to hit a local drive through So he gets in line, and there's a bunch of cars in front of him. Everybody, I think it was McDonald's, so who's wanting their hotcakes and sausage? So he gets in <laughs> line, and um, he, get, he pulls up. He's like, gosh, I don't know. Am I thinking Egg McMuffin today? Am I thinking hotcakes? And so he's just taking a second there. So he's, he's at the little the menu area there. Uh, the woman behind him starts to aggressively honk her horn gesture outside her window he needs to get a move on he's thinking (laughs) lady this has been like 14 seconds give me a moment and so she's kind of really continuing to be very rude and he places his order and kind of thinking to himself like that's that's like a little obnoxious really I took a couple seconds want to get my order right and she's kind of still gesturing to him as he's going up to that window to pay and and he's he's frustrated at the rudeness and he's he's like you know what I'm this world is hectic and the woman who's who's there at the window kind of looks out and she says what what's happening here is something wrong in the line he's like no I think I know it's early but she's already had a bad day he said I tell you what I want to I want to buy her breakfast as well as mine so he pays for his food and he pays for her food and he pulls up then to the next window where he's going to get it and but he's watching in his rear rear view mirror because he wants to see her reaction when she comes up and she obviously she pulls up and the woman proceeds to say hey it looks like you know this guy in front of you paid and he could see he could see her countenance change and he's thinking to himself a little bit like ah gotcha you know look mm-hmm. what happens you mm-hmm. don't have to be that rude and obnoxious but as he's sitting there that's not good enough as he's at the window getting his food um, he gets his stuff, uh, he gives his receipt, gets his stuff, and then he thinks to himself, you know, that, that she should not be that rude. I need to actually teach her a little lesson. So he hands oh, no. in her receipt, and he gets her food as well. And then he drives off thinking, I'm going to show her. Not only um, did she have to wait in line the first time to get right, she's going to go right back and get back in that line and have to wait oh, again. No. And that's the world we live in, right, where he's so offended that somebody would have you know done this to him this woman is so impatient that this guy's taking 14 seconds to order his little pancakes that's the world we live in but um this is this is really not a new phenomenon we're just seeing this at degrees and levels that we've not seen before man i really thought that was going to take a turn for the good and then it took a turn for the worst (laughs) right right (laughs) oh man i resonate with the frustration he probably felt but to act out yeah. takes a lot of audacity. Whew, I feel myself sweating a little bit from that <laughs> from that story. So really for the believer, what I hear you saying is being sober-minded about the way that things influence me. Um, they influence me towards selfishness or really selflessness or godliness. Um, and so it seems like we see a need for a paradigm shift as believers. So, you know, being mindful that we are not to draw on this idea that it's all about us, but you know, we are given the option of existing as one little tiny kernel, one little tiny seed that is our life. And I think that we can try to grow that little seed as big and full as we would really like. But in the end, it's 
all going to be laid to rest just like the rest of us. But I think the big difference for believers, and this is maybe the paradigm shift, is that for the individual who says to the Lord, here is my life, I am your instrument, use my life for your glory, becomes a seed that is sovereignly planted that will yield a harvest. Because it's not focused on the production of the harvest or the notoriety that comes with a great harvest. Um, Maybe it doesn't care if someone is uh, frustrated with us behind the Mickey D's line. Maybe we'll pay for their food and not take it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But with the harvest, they're not worried about what the harvest looks like or if people know, man, that's Hannah Schaefer's field that the harvest is growing in. Um, It's just not concerned about that. But instead, it's really focused on the Lord and the Lord alone. And it recognizes that the harvest is the Lord's. It's uh, how big it is, how great or small is the Lord's, and what he wants to do with that seed is really up to him. But both of those seeds, the one that either we're going to try to grow by ourselves or we're going to give over and surrender, um, they both have this temporal moment in which they can live their fullest lives. But you know, for those that are going to be spent on self are going to end without the joy and the fullness of that multiplying potential. And as a believer, um, we said this earlier, but to be a leader is just to influence, and we're talking about influence. Like none of us as believers walk around all day saying, I don't want to influence anybody ever. If that is our attitude, I think we might need to talk to the Lord for a minute about it. But the seed that's going to be planted that has the potential of yielding a harvest are the ones that are not focused on the harvest itself or ourselves, but are, are, are focused on the Lord. And I love this stat about acorns. Did you know that the average oak tree yields more than 10 million acorns in its lifetime? Unbelievable. I I know. 10 million in its lifetime. And when you think about a seed producing a plant that will then produce more seeds, that will produce a plant, it just translates so well. And oak trees actually begin producing acorns at about 20 years of age. Oh, wow. So it takes a long time for them to actually produce. And I was reading that most of them, it's actually at 50 years. And I think we see a lot of that in the Bible where um, the Lord is doing a lot of growing up, a lot of sunshine and a lot mm-hmm. of, uh, yeah. you know, watering of the seed. And that fruit is produced in God's timing. And 50 years feels like a long time. That's almost that's like half of someone's life. Mm-hmm. For some yeah. people, that's their full life. If they plant that as a little kid, they might not even get to see that tree mm. produce fruit. But I want to be that oak tree that, um, you know, if I'm 100 years old, if I'm a 100-year-old year, year old oak tree, I will produce 2,200 acorns per year. So this website was saying that depending on the year, that can be a really strong production year or it, like, wow. right. it ebbs and flows. It could be strong mm-hmm. or it could be really, really uh, a weak year for production. And so for my little worker bees out there who are getting frustrated when you're in a season uh, where you just feel like this is a year of less production, whether it's because of personal things, whether it is because um, you're just not able to produce the same way, like you're not inspired, you're tired, um, things like that. For those of you out there that are feeling frustrated, there is an ebb and flow to production what we produce that we even get to see in God's creation. I think there's a lot of grace in that because I do want to be the oak tree that produces good fruit. Well, good seed, if you will. And, um, you know, is multiplying that will multiply that will multiply. But like God has not created us to just be these Mm. production machines. Um, and so, um, I hope that that speaks to some of you that tend to be, 
highly um, just focused, you're high functioning leaders, um, sometimes there's a season where you're just not going to produce as much and that's okay. Um, and I think that God lets us see that in his creation and is really gracious about that. So for you, Claudia, you have a bit more life experience than some of our listeners. Uh, what do you think is a key factor in shifting from that selfishness to the selflessness? Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that's really a lot of what we're talking about here is that that flipping of the script and that reframing our perspective. So here's something that I, I've talked with my kids a lot. I've got uh, an 18 and a 20-year-old and trying to help them walk into right perspective, understanding how to navigate all the influences, really is to understand how how they're wired and some of why they do what they do. It can be very shaming for a Christian to look at, you even talked about maybe not as being as fruitful or maybe some of the thought process we're working on, or why am I, you know, leaning toward a selfish inclination? I mean, you almost start this like, man, what's wrong with me? I'm really not doing this well. So what I've done with with my family is to back up and say, listen, we've got to first understand the natural inclination of our flesh. Our, Our natural man is wired to protect us. It's wired to make life all about me. It's doing its job when it's doing that. So as it's looking at these influential factors that are coming in, when it it filters those in a way that serves me, is about me, is right, it's doing its job. That's that's what it's supposed to do, um, because it's going to do everything it can to protect and provide for. If it's my my natural man, it's for my physical needs, my emotional needs. That's what it's wired to do, and that's where we see this almost this selfishness and this self-protective or narcissistic narcissistic tendencies come in when our natural man is allowed to do what it's it's wired to do. And understanding that although that's the default setting of our flesh, we don't have to stay there. We don't have to leave that as though that's the only, you know, dial on the, on the knob. We can adjust that and recognize that although that's the inclination and the tendency, we can be intentional to start to flip that script. And we want to, we want to recognize that that's, that's a process and it doesn't come instantly. It takes some time, but we got to be really intentional to change the paradigm and to recognize that when we go towards selfishness, that's not inherently bad. That's what our natural man's intended to do. We've got to just now step up with some maturity and start to, to turn the wheel. And we've got to direct toward that selflessness that you've talked about. Yeah. And I think we see that in scripture. Um, you know, Jesus isn't just shaking his finger at us and saying, live life more abundantly, will you? Like I've given it to you, figure it out. Um, you know, he tells us that there is life and joy that's found when we give ourselves away. Um, you know, I think about Matthew six when, um, you know, Jesus tells us, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. Um, cause look at, I provide for all of my other creations and how much more are you valuable to me? Um, and again, I appreciate God doesn't just leave us with do that. Will you? Um, but he says, don't be anxious. And here's how, You don't have to live in self-preservation mode. Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those things are going to be added unto you. Like that is all we have to focus on in order to live in that abundant life and all the things that come with that. Um, You know what? Let me jump in here, Hannah. I wasn't going to share this, but as you're talking, it just brings to mind this story. uh, The story of told of of a family, they're out shopping. 
on a Sunday, lots of errands. It's a two parents and three kids. And kind of toward the end of the afternoon, they're like, okay, we've got to stop by the dollar store to pick up a couple things. And the kids have been so good. The parents are like, go grab anything you want. Everybody can pick one thing. And this little girl goes and she picks this cheap little pearl necklace. Um, Parents are so happy. Get what you want, honey. You've been great today. So she gets it. And they're kind of thinking, if this thing makes it through the day, let alone the week, this is going to be a miracle. So this little girl takes this necklace. And the other kids like their stuff. But this necklace, this little girl loved this necklace. And uh, somehow, by some miracle beyond miracles, this necklace, it lasts through the week. And this, she's wearing it every day. She doesn't want to take it off to bathe. She doesn't want it. She's sleeping in it. Every, all day long, she's like now just so connected to this necklace. And the parents are kind of like happy for her. She has this fun little necklace, but they're kind of all like, man, this is going to break at some point. She's going to be so disappointed. Well, it makes it that first week. It makes it that first month. It makes it that first year. And everybody, now, by now, we're talking about a dollar store pearl necklace that looks horrible. Little ratty thing. Looks like it's hanging on by a thread. Everybody's waiting for this to, to break. And this girl loves this necklace. And she continues to wear it. And the dad is so moved by how much she loves this necklace. But he, he knows this thing is going to die any moment. And she's going to be devastated. So he, he pulls her aside one day and he says, Hey, babe, I, I want to ask you something. But I want to first tell you that I love you. And, I, and she's kind of like, Dad, what are you doing? Like, I know you love me. Okay, can I go play? He's like, no, no, hold on one second, honey. I want you to know I really love you and I want to ask you a big question. And she's kind of like, this is getting weird, but okay, it's my dad. I love him. So she's like, okay. And he says, honey, I want to ask if you'll give me your necklace. And she kind of like shocked. What are you, what are you saying? Give you my necklace. You know, for a year now, I've worn this thing night and day. I love this thing. Ask for my necklace. And she doesn't even know how to process what he's asking. Like, is this a joke? And she's like, Dad, like, this is my necklace. He's like, no, honey, I know it's your necklace, and I know you love that, but I want to ask, will you give me your necklace? And this little tear starts going down her cheek. She's like, he's literally asking me for this necklace I love, that I adore, that I wear all the time. And she's kind of this tension of, absolutely not. What, you know, you don't need a pearl necklace. You're a big old dad. You're not, what are you going to do with this? But she knows, and he says, so kindly, he says, honey, I'm not going to ask again. I want you to know I love you. And I want you to know you can always trust me. Will you give me your necklace? Mm-hmm. And now tears are going down both cheeks. And she takes off the necklace and she gives it to him. She doesn't even say anything. Just kind of hands it over and her head is hanging down. And he kind of lifts her chin to kind of look in her eyes. He's like, honey, I, I wanted to give you this. But I wanted to wait till you were ready to give me that necklace. And she opens it and it's actually a, a real necklace. That's going to now last for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I just think all the time. As we think of this shift toward being very self-centered, toward being very selfless, the tendency of our flesh is going to want to hold on to everything that is for me, about me, and my timing. And even as I look at the forces of influence around me, Mm. I'm going to gauge what I take in because what feels good, what elevates Mm. me. But the invitation for all of us is that God has something far greater. I think of the John 15, 16, where he says, I chose you and I called you that you would be fruitful for all of us. That's that's what we're talking about in this podcast is that for all of us, it's stepping higher on that journey, not just so we get higher and we look a little better and life goes a little better, but that we can serve others as well. Um, And this idea is his plan is for us to yield more fruit than we can ever imagine. Your little acorn analogy. Yeah, seriously, the fruit that that he has in mind. But it's not found by making it about ourselves, not living for ourselves or elevating ourselves. 
it's found in coming alongside and pursuing him on this journey. And I can just tell for those listening, it's an amazing journey. And what he does and what he unfolds and how he uses us will far exceed anything we could ever imagine. Thank you so much for sharing that. Again, as we've said so many times in this episode, we as believers, we really have to be keenly aware of what things are influencing us. Because if they're ignored, if they're minimized, then we can slowly and sneakily define who we are, how we do life, how we think about ourselves and the world, and ultimately how we climb. Until next time, climb fierce. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast, wherever you stream your podcasts. Be sure to check out today's show notes for more resources, links, and helpful tools on today's topic. You can find these resources and more on our website at www.growthpointperspective.com. If this podcast has been at all impactful for you or someone you know, let us know, leave us a review or send it to a friend who might need to hear about today's topics. And if you have any questions or an episode idea for us, or you want to get in contact with our team, email hello at growthpointperspective.com. Until next time, friends, go climb fierce.